This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to the Bartender Journey Podcast number 110. My name is Brian Vincent Weber, and this is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, this week I have a very special interview. It's with Mr. David Wondridge. David, of course, is the ultimate authority on cocktail and spirit history. He's also involved in the Bar Smarts course. And in fact, when I took the Bar Smarts course, the Bar Smarts one day course, he was my judge. <laughs> He's a true gentleman and so much fun to talk to. I was honored to have the opportunity to interview him. The phone interview you're going to hear on the show today is an excerpt from the full interview I did with David for the Tales 365 program. As you may have heard me talk about in the past, Tales of the Cocktail has a great program called Tales 365, and it's a subscription-based service. Uh, it gives you access to uh, my podcast and other podcasts. It gives you access to video recordings of seminars at Tales of the Cocktail, audio recordings from uh, other seminars at Tales of the Cocktail, some of those I, I did, and uh, exclusive tastings and online seminars, um, distillery tours, all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, I recommend you check that out. Anyway, point is, I did this interview with David for Tales 365, and I'm going to play you uh, a portion of it. But to hear the whole thing, you have to be a Tales 365 member. And uh, yeah, go to Tales365.com and check that out. There's lots of great benefits there of uh, being a member. Hey, who's going to Tales of the Cocktail this year anyway? If you're going, drop me a line at vince.bartender at gmail.com and uh, maybe we'll try to meet up for a cocktail. Uh, before we get to my chat with David, I've started this little segment of the show called Industry News. So uh, this week, we're going to talk about Crown Royal. Uh, they're about to release a rye whiskey and uh, that's interesting since uh, traditional Crown Royal is a blended Canadian whiskey. Uh, we can assume there's a lot of rye in there since uh, traditionally Canadian whiskeys have a lot of rye, although it's not really required, but uh, that's tradition, and rye happens to grow well in the colder regions, so that's the reason why Canadian whiskeys normally have a lot of rye in their uh, mash bill. In other words, uh, what proportions of rye, wheat, corn, barley, or whatever are um, used to make their whiskey. But rye has become uh, increasingly more popular and sought after and actually hard to get. I've heard a lot of people say, I've talked to a lot of distillers who say rye is kind of hard to work with because it gets very sticky and it's uh, it's not, not easy to work with. But uh, it's it's a great spirit and, you know, I sure enjoy it and uh, I love it in my Manhattan. And uh, if you remember, I, I spoke to uh, Dad's Hat, uh, Dad's Hat Rye made in Pennsylvania, which is great rye. And uh if you want to find out more about rye, go go to the website, bartenderjourney.net, and uh, in the little search bar on the upper right-hand side, you can just type in rye, and you'll, you, you'll be able to find it that way. So uh, anyway, I'd be interested to, to uh, try this crown rye, and uh, like I said, I'm a little obsessed with rye. So uh, anyway, that, that caught my eye in the industry news this week. So the book or books of the week are going to be the David Wondridge collection. David just released an updated version of his uh, book, Imbibe, which is all about Jerry Thomas. And I admit I have a copy here, but I haven't had a chance to jump into it yet. I have about 40 cocktail and spirit books sitting on this table behind me right here. And uh, I ran out of bookcases. (laughs) But uh, I can't wait to get into the Imbibe book. But I also highly recommend David's book, Esquire Drinks, An Opinionated and Irreverent Guide to Drinking. I've read this book about 
five times, and I told David that the first time that I met him uh, last year at Tales of the Cocktail, and he graciously signed that book, uh, which is great. And uh, if you listen to my show, you know I have a bit of an obsession with uh, signed cocktail books, <laughs> so uh, I was excited to get that. Anyway, if you go to my website, bartenderjourney.net, You'll be able to see links to these books and uh, a few other Amazon links. So please do me a favor and click through my website to get to Amazon, and you'll be doing a little something to help the. Uh, you'll be doing a little something to help support the show uh, if you click through my site to get to Amazon. Amazon kicks back a little bit to uh, help with the costs of the of producing this show, and it doesn't cost you any extra. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, all right, enough of my rambling on. Let's talk to Mr. David Wondridge. Sounds like you're listening to some old-timey music there. Yeah, I was listening to Sun Ra, you know, little 50s jazz. Cool. Well, it was uh, such a pleasure to meet you at Broussard's that night. Uh, likewise. You were uh, just stepping out from behind the bar. Those those duo events are really fun. They're they're great. They're fun. They're busy, though. <laughs> yeah, they were so busy. We, we came in earlier while you were attending bar, and we couldn't get close to the bar. So we came back after you were done. And uh, I want to thank you again for signing my book. That was a, Yeah, my pleasure. That was cool. Uh, so what were you mixing up that uh, that afternoon? Well, we didn't have a menu, uh-huh. which uh, we, we knew everybody else was going to, you know, like have menus and stuff. So we said, let's do it old school. <laughs> and uh, we just uh, all we had was we had gin and uh, any gin drink. Oh, okay. As long as we had the ingredients, we would make it for you. I bet you made a lot of Negronis. I made a lot of Negronis. Yes, I did. <laughs> that's the uh, that's a bartender kind of drink, isn't it? Yep. But I also made like pink ladies and gin fizzes. <laughs> I had some raspberries, so I made crushed raspberry fizzes. Uh, you know, I was having fun. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, uh, as as a bartender, why is it so important to understand cocktail history? Do you think? Well, that's the stories. You know, uh-huh. and uh, otherwise we might as well all be drinking vodka martinis. You know, <laughs> right. without the story, uh, uh, the story makes a drink taste better. It makes it tells you what to drink instead of something else. You know, a drink with a story that appeals to you is uh, a drink that you have a connection with, and uh, you're sort of enrolling yourself in its long history. And I always think that's fun. You know, sipping my uh, Pegu Club cocktail and thinking of the. Uh, the British gents at the Pegu Club in uh, in Burma in you know 1914, <laughs> drinking them, and that, that's always amusing to me. Yeah, and you know, it, apparently to a lot of other people too. It is. So, you know, I do it mostly because it's amusing to me. Right. <laughs> well, uh, on that note, do you think all the great cocktails have already been invented, and we're just kind of riffing on the uh, the ones that are? Oh no, there there will be more. Uh, I just think we can't predict which ones they're going to be. Uh huh. You know, the stories are there. There will be great cocktails in the future, obviously. Right now, people are always saying, what's the next great classic cocktail? You know, we've got no idea. Give it 20 years. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. It's not for us to decide. It's for uh, a, a loose consensus of drinkers to decide. Right, right. Uh, well, I, I wanted to ask you about the, the so-called American bar. You know, for instance, when did that standard bar height of 42 inches and the bar rail for your feet and the back bar with the mirror and all that become sort of commonplace? Uh, really, it, it firmed up uh, in the years, uh, in the decades after the Civil War. Okay. I mean, it was already more or less like that before the Civil War, but uh, it became much more standard. And in the decades after the Civil War, you started seeing uh, furniture companies and uh, bar furniture companies in particular, like Brunswick Buck, uh, Colander, selling these things pre- pre-made. Mm. And uh, so they all, you start seeing more and more standardization. Uh-huh. For, uh, before the Civil War, uh, you know, a, like bar in New York might be made out of marble and uh, it would have one thing and another, like if you go into two jugs in, uh, in New Orleans, that's uh, definitely a pre-Civil War bar. 
and you see it's kind of different. Mm-hmm. You know, the setup is different. The uh, the look of it is different. Okay. You know, they they were all ad hoc, but after that, uh, they started to be much more standardized. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny going down in New Orleans. You, you go to some old bars, you know, and uh, I thought we had old bars in New York, but no, New Orleans has older ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we took... you know, New York, New York, everything gets torn down eventually. Right. Nothing right. lasts in this in, in, in this city. I guess that's it. Yeah. Like uh, I like the Old Town Bar, which uh, they say is the oldest uh, continuously running bar in Manhattan. Is that right? Well, McSorley's is older. McSorley's, okay. But the Old Town is the oldest one that sells spirits, I think. Mm-hmm. McSorley's is just beer. And I just read uh, in one of your books or somewhere that uh, Jerry Thomas's bar was right there on Broadway and 22nd Street, huh? Yeah, it was. <laughs> That's cool. I used to work right there. Close, right? I used to work right there between uh, Broadway between 21st and 22nd. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, you were right there. Yeah, I was right there. It's on that block. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> funny. It's funny. I know. But why, why do you think that old-timey feel just is, is, is so much fun, you know, when you go into a bar? You know, I mean, I don't want to go into a nightclub where everything's flashing lights and stuff. You know, I like those old-timey bars, and that, that I think a lot of people do. Oh, uh, completely. You know, it's the same thing as, as the, the the drinks. You know, the bar's got a story, and, mm-hmm. and you're not. it's not some made-up thing that, you know, anybody could do. Uh, once a bar is a real survivor and has, has lasted a few decades, it, it takes on a patina and a glow, and it just becomes a different place. It's very hard to fake that. It can be faked. I've seen it done. But it's very difficult, mm-hmm. and it, it takes a lot of work and intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's something bigger than yourself. I mean, you know, it's the same reason people go to Rome. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Sold. The, you know, it kind of gives you a sense of, like, the, the human endeavor persists even though we all die. Mm, that's great. Well, uh, you, you've written an entire book about this, but I want to ask you to sum up in a few sentences. What, it, what is punch exactly besides the fact that it's batched and, and shared? It's the first universally popular mixed drink based on spirits. It's kind of the killer app to get people drinking spirits. <laughs> because before that, you know, people drank it in drams or they mixed it with wine or beer. And, you know, sometimes it got aged up with the wine. But it wasn't drunk by preference or as an Epicurean thing. You know, it was, it was drunk as a tonic or because it was available uh, and because it got you drunk. But punch made spirits taste good. Yeah. And that's about the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, started with sailors, uh, spread all over all over the world by 1700, and uh, became this the, the social drink par excellence. It's the drink that every other drink we we drink today stems from. So it's it's kind of great for that. You know, it's a universal ancestor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, a simple mix of uh, citrus and sugar spirits of any kind. You know, preferably rich uh, pot stilled ones, but uh, water water is essential and spice of some kind, although you can leave that out if you've got good other ingredients. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it's smooth and delightful and easy to drink. And uh, it's also a very versatile formula. You lose the citrus and put in bitters, you've got a cocktail. You lose the citrus and put in uh, mint, you've got a mint julep. You know, it sort of gave birth to all these other drinks. Mm. And the uh, the communal aspect of it is, is so important too, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's always a party. You get a good bowl of punch going and... Uh, and the party takes care of itself. Yeah, yeah. It does seem like a little different mindset between making a cocktail and making a punch, though. Well, I think a cocktail is there to kind of grab you by the lapel. Mm. You know, it, it, it's like we're going to have a short, intense relationship, <laughs> and it's going to be hot. Uh, but with punch, it's more a long-term relationship. You know, you don't want to have 
like two glasses of punch, you know you're going to have like six. <laughs> you know, it's there. You're there for the evening or there for the afternoon, and punch is what you're drinking. It can't be so intense. It has to be mellower. It has to be uh, a little more civilized than the cocktail. The cocktail can be a little rough around the edges, or you know, pungent, strong, funky, all all this kind of stuff. We like that in the cocktail because it's just a few sips and it's it's it wakes you up. But uh, punch can't do that. It, ha- it has to be uh, it has to be above all palatable. Right. And I like what you said too. As the afternoon goes on, the ice will make it a little less strong. As yeah, the- until until the end, you're you're tasting you know basically cunningly flavored water. Right. <laughs> and uh, and that's fine too. Yeah. You you use that word uh, funky um, often when describing spirits and and drinks and uh, I, you know I have a pretty I have a vague idea of what you mean but I want, I wish you could uh, explain that a little. Oh, that's that, well, I use it because I don't know what else to describe. <laughs> you know, I wish I had better words. You know, it's a sort of a pungent. Uh, I don't know. It, it kind of gets to the back of your brain and gets into the uh, you know the cerebellum and all the uh, all, all, all the animal parts of your brain. <laughs> And so, uh, I mean, that's that's the best I could say with it. <laughs> Would you say it's an earthy quality? Uh, it could be earthy. Uh-huh. It can be vegetal. It mm-hmm. can be almost muddy. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be uh, animal. Mm-hmm. There's definitely an animal quality to it. It's all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's something extra. Cool. Well, uh, to change the subject a little, uh, I, I prefer my martinis with an orange twist. But uh, as I was a young bartender, I was taught that um, when you put olives in a martini, it has to be an odd number. Even number is bad luck. So it should be one big one or three little ones. Is that ridiculous? Well, it's ridiculous, but it's tradition. So, <laughs> right. you, know, you know, you don't have you don't, you don't need reasons for traditions. You just you know you sign on either I perpetuate it or I don't. You right. Know? Yep. And uh, if you're going to perpetuate it, you know, do it. Okay, yeah, I am. I'm perpetuating that one. I Good. like, I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> How do you feel about um, ice in, in modern bars? Well, you know, the the, the chip, chipped ice that we see in a lot of the lower-end bars, and now uh, it's really evolved in the high-end cocktail bars. What, what, what are you well, doing? the chipped ice is, uh, is pathetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is, you know, you can still make good drinks with it. I'd, I'd rather have uh, a... Uh, a drink with chipped ice in a fun bar than than a, a drink with perfect ice in a stuffy bar where they make you uh, you know feel like it you're you're being privileged to witness the ritual of the ice carving. Right. Uh, I find that I find that to be a bit much. I, it, like anything, you know, things things become trends, and uh, there are going to be people who uh, focus on the uh, on the surface rather than the substance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I see that, you know, with, with ice and with a lot of other things in modern cocktail bars. But that's a, that's a good sign because that means it's spreading and it's not just a few, like, diehards. It's, it's, it's really becoming a, a mass movement. Right, right. So I'm willing to put up with it, but I do think it's a little bit silly sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. But, that I mean, that chipped ice, it's just designed to oh, take up both. as much room in the glass as possible, right? Yeah, and it's terrible. You know, it melts instantly. And yeah. It's hard to make drinks with, but, you you know. It, it, it's it's still it's uh, at least it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where do you see this sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, new new golden age of the cocktail uh, going over? Let's say next three to five years. Well, next three to five years, it's still expanding. So I'm not I'm not so worried about it. You know, after that, people will get a little bit tired of of things and move on. But it's not going to be the same. It'll be like American food, which uh, was in dire shape in the fifties and and sixties. And then in the 70s and 80s, it got into serious revival. And now we're never going back to the kinds of absolute 
mushy, flavorless crap that was being dished out in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a, that was a special circumstance, and, and uh, it kind of broke the tradition of American food. And I, I think it's the same with drinks. The, the tradition of American drinks was broken by the middle of the 20th century. Uh, you know, world, the combination of prohibition, repeal, World War II, uh, Korean War, 1950s, you know, the, the Vietnam generation and uh, the turn to drugs, that kind of messed up the whole art of the bar. Once it's back, it's back. I mean, you know, we're, we're getting jaded in, in, in places like New York, but there, there's still great new bars opening. They're just, you know, the, the, my favorite ones are a little bit simpler. Yeah. They know how to make a great drink, but they're not yelling, hey, look at me about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, you said uh, getting the history of alcohol straight is pretty difficult since you're trying to collect the facts from people who've been drinking. So, but as uh, from our bartender community, I want to thank you for doing just that, and uh, we we all owe well, you. You're very welcome. You know, it's fun for me, and uh, I'm glad that people find it interesting. I mean, I'm I'm blessed in that. Yeah, it's it's uh, oh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I won't take up any more of your time. Well, thank you so much, and uh, you know, I'll see you next year in New Orleans, if not before. Absolutely. Thanks again, all right, David. Take care. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. That was awesome. It's such an honor for me to talk to people like David Wondridge. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more cool interviews like that very soon. Uh, For instance, coming up very soon on Bartender Journey, I have an interview with Camper English. Uh, We're going to record that next week, I believe. And uh, in the meantime, you should check out Camper's blog, academics.com, if you you haven't done that already. And uh, I'll also have a chat with Anthony Pullen, who is the North American brand ambassador for, for the Bowles Company. And we're going to talk about the mysterious spirit called Geneva. And I'm working on getting an interview with the great Jeffrey Morgenthaler. And uh, I think it's going to work out this time. I'm excited. He's uh, kind of a hero of mine in the bartending world. Check out his book, The Bar Book. Okay, we have our weekly toast coming up in a minute. This week was provided by a listener, the charming Corina, who you may remember was a guest on the Bartender Journey podcast number 103, I believe it was, which was titled, What to Expect First Time at Tales of the Cocktail. Uh, so I appreciate that. If you, uh, I appreciate that, Karina. Thank you very much. And if anyone else out there has a toast they'd like to share, please send it along. You can email me at vince.bartender at gmail.com. You can tweet at me and follow me on Twitter at barkeeptips. Search for Bartender Journey on Facebook and like that page. This very cool music track that we're listening to right now is called Exit to the Rainbow by Springtide. Ah, here's some industry news I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show. Uh, There's a contest called Shake the Vine, and you can enter your cocktail recipe. It has to contain wine, and uh, there's some specific rules, but you can win $5,000 at Tales of the Cocktail. And you can go to shakethevine.com to find out more about it and to enter your cocktail. And I think that's a pretty cool contest, and uh, I should get on that and try to come up with one on my own. All right, here's our toast. There's something about a martini, a tingle, remarkably pleasant, a yellow, a mellow martini. I wish I had one at present. There is something about a martini, ere the dining and dancing begin. And I tell you the truth, it's not the vermouth. I think it's perhaps the gin. Cheers, we'll talk to you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. (laughs) 